All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business. And with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 78 points or two-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 8.5 points, or two-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 190 points, or 1.5%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 9.5%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 13.5%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 22.4%. So... Friday, we didn't have an attack of the Fridays, but the S&P 500 did close on Friday at a low for the year. Um, And we definitely, it was a very interesting week. We had a couple of uh, rip-your-face-off rally on Wednesday and then a rip-your-face-off reverse move retraction on Thursday. So um, no rest for the weary. I got a good analogy for this week. You ever watch a football game and the running back runs 20 yards one way, 20 yards the other, and he loses about a yard? That's what this week reminded me of. You know what? And I've, seen a few, I've seen a few guys on the Cowboys that have done that, and it just <laughs> drives me nuts. But you're absolutely right. Running from one end, one side of the field to the other side of the field to wind up losing a yard or two. You're yep. absolutely right, Joe. That That's exactly what, what this past week was, because if you go back, to the, the, the last closing low this past, not this past Friday, but the previous Friday, that at that point in time was the closing low for the year. This past Friday, it was the closing low of the year, but just by a couple of points, just by a couple of points. Uh, but it, it was a, a very volatile week, uh, to put it lightly, particularly after we saw the rip-your-face-off rally after the Federal Reserve meeting on Wednesday, which was interpreted as more dovish because the the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, said in his press conference that they 
took off the table the potential for a three-quarters of 1% increase in the federal funds rate and that they're going to be sticking with the half of 1% or 50 basis point increase in meetings to come. But then on Thursday, there was a rumor floated very shortly after the open that the 75 basis point increase may be back on the table, and then we saw a complete reversal of the rally we saw on Wednesday. Well, remember, this is the same group of people in 2021 that said they weren't going to be raising interest rates until 2023. And and inflation was transitory. And inflation was transitory, but I think there might have been a few folks on this radio show that agreed with the transitory view of inflation uh, that Jay Powell had. I'm not going to name any names, but it wasn't me. Um, but uh, well, don't, well, don't break your arm, pat yourself on the back too hard. Well, we thought transitory meant like a year, okay? We hadn't really defined exactly. Okay. okay, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. What, what is exactly what is Joe's got your back, Joe, Joe has got you, Joe. Back. <laughs> you got right. me, bro. That's that's why Joe is my brother from another mother because he's he's got my back. Sometimes so, it's way back, but he, he's got my back, yes. So to believe long to make try to make some sort of investment decision based on something that the federal reserve is saying that they're going to do 12 months in advance uh is is a day is dangerous and if if dad was with us today he would once again be saying that we're spending too much time talking about the fed but that's all anybody is is, is talking about on CNBC, you know, any of the major business news networks, that's all they're talking about. That's all they've been talking about all year long. So, you know, this is what's, this is driving the, uh, all the investor fears. This is, this is, thank you, Kyle. It's driving sentiment. Uh, It's, you, you get these, Euphoric days like we had on Wednesday, and I'm sure it draws in. You know, there may be investors saying, "Okay, well, you know, yesterday was the bottom, and it's all clear now, and it's safe to to go in and invest, and I'm going to go back to 80 percent allocation to tech stocks, and everything's going to be fine." And no, I don't think uh, these this kind of market. This is this is different than the the buy every dip. Uh, mentality that we had, you know, in the latter part of 2020, all through 2021, buy the dip. That was the way to go. You know, that was a that was a winning investing strategy, and it's been anything but a winning investment strategy in 2022. And so, investors got to get got to get used to that. And trying to pick a, a bottom, pick a you know, it is impossible. And now we have a situation in the markets where we haven't had interest rates going higher. We haven't had a marketplace where, it, where, where interest rates can be going higher as far as the eye can see. The Fed has been on our side for years, and, and now they're not. And we've been saying this for weeks now. And there isn't anything coming from the Fed speak that tells me that they're anywhere close to stopping raising interest rates. And as long as they're nowhere near stopping to raise interest rates, we're going to be in this 
vo- this volatile marketplace. And we've talked about it. You know, we were going to volatility was going to be paramount this year, and that is exactly what's happened. And it started everyone really had stopped. To be yeah, honest with I, you, every one of these big rallies. I guarantee you there's folks out there that management is, oh, okay, that's it. We got we, we to gotta start thinking about that must have been a bottom. We got to start putting some money in. And, no, I'm, I, I can't, you can't really think that way. To me, every one of these big rallies is an opportunity to take profits in stocks that you've got profits in, which is something that we did this week. And I see we're coming up the end of the first segment, so I'm going to stop here. We'll come back after the break. Okay, we'll follow up after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing our recap of Wall Street from this past week, Jeff, right before we went to break, talking about, you know, the environment that we're seeing so far this year where there was dip buying that we saw in twenty in 2020, dip buying in 2021. Now in 2022, we're seeing more of rip selling. As the market rips higher, we're seeing more selling come in as opposed to dip buying. And I think this, this goes, it's really laid at the feet that, and I know from portfolio reviews that you've done, Jeff, and we talked about on last weekend show where you're running into prospective clients that are well into their 60s, pre-retirees or post-retirees with not appropriate asset allocations to stocks sitting on 75, 80, 85 percent or more exposure to stocks. And for our listeners that find themselves in a situation in their portfolio where they have too much stock exposure in our current market environment and Fed policy environment, using these kind of rips in the market higher to lighten some of the positions in their portfolio. And I know before you went to break, talked about some things that we did in our portfolio this past week where we took more profits from some stocks so far in the portfolio this year that have had very profitable year because they're more in the defensive space, pharmaceutical space, more on the value side that have definitely ripped higher, that we wanted to trim some of those profits off of them. But then also wholesale getting out of four more stock positions in our individual stock and bond portfolio. And yeah. so, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, when you have a year like this where the, the buy-the-dip mental, mentality has worked for, for many years and they're – how many investors were doing the same thing in January, in February, in March, only to have the market move you know, really strongly lower in April? Uh, the, there's a lot of those investors that are underwater in their stock positions. And yeah, they may not have a long-term uh, mentality when it comes to 
holding those investments in their portfolio. And so when they get one of those big up days, uh, they're looking, okay, well, hey, I can get out of some of these names that moved against me that I bought in January or I bought in February. And so the market just can't seem to get any traction higher, and we just have this this slow march down. Uh, if if the week, uh, and then you and you have all this 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 kind of huge volatility this week, but when you get to you know week looking at it week over week, if you did not tell me what happened, you know all the other days, I say, oh, looks like it must have been a pretty quiet week, based on the where we ended. No, yeah, it was it was anything but quiet. quiet, anything yeah. but. So there, it's it's a incredibly difficult time to put money to work. Now I know the talking heads on CNBC and all these fund manager guys. Yeah, you got to have a two and three and five year time horizon. Well, you know, if you're in your if you're in your retirement years, if you're 65, 70, 75 years old, you're not really thinking about five years down the road. You're not really wanting to buy something today that might go 10 or 20% lower in the hopes it'll be up 50% in the next five years. That's, that's not the kind of thinking at that stage of life. This is about right now to me. We're not at, in my opinion, we're not at the stage where it's time to get aggressive or really be thinking about capital appreciation. In this type of environment, it's more like it's capital preservation. You're saying playing defense, right? I mean, we're, yeah, we're talking about we're, defense. It's a to, we're totally in a defensive mode in our portfolios and have gotten more defensive in the week just passed. I believe Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. We're in and around 45% uh, invested in stocks in a moderate asset allocation portfolio, just kind of rounding it off. Yeah. Uh, the, the lowest. And, 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 yeah, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, and when you take into account the cash that's in our index base, it's actually approaching a little bit under 40% overall. So and, and that, to Joe's point about playing defense, and I think it's important for all of our listeners to understand, there are points in time during – any given year or any given market cycle where sometimes it's best just to play defense. As I said to, as I said to a prospective client that I met with this past week, you know, there's times where you have to have your shield up and your sword down. And that is definitely the position that we're at here at Davidson Capital Management, where our shield is up in front of the portfolio and our sword is down. Now, when the point in time is going to come where we can put our shield down and pull our sword up and go on the offense, we don't know specifically the timing. But again, as an active asset manager, we're watching everything like a hawk as we should and why our clients hire us to be that team on that wall to be making those day-to-day decisions. But there will become, there will be a point in time where we can go back on the offensive. But even if we go back on the off- offensive, it's going to be very, slowly it's going to be dollar cost averaging in it isn't okay well we're sitting on 20 25 percent cash we're going to put it all to work today no no you can't do that you have to dollar cost average in when you feel that the waters are maybe a little more calm but every investor has to understand there's never going to be a hundred percent clarity in the markets whether it's the bond market or the stock market there's just different shades of of gray when it comes to the cloudiness of the water 
And so right now, as Jeff said, as Joe said, we're defensive. The shield is up, and it's okay at points in time to be defensive and capital preservation. Kyle, I want want to point a couple things out. And you talked about being defensive at the beginning of the year. One of the things that we did in the portfolio, and actually one of the things you could do if you're trying to get back into the market, is we went with an equally weighted philosophy across the board, meaning not having more than 1% if we could help it in any one stock. And I'm looking at the equally weighted S&P, all right, not market weighted, which means it owns a a, a set percentage of every particular uh, component of the S&P. It's down... 9.52%, 9.52%, I believe, year-to-date, while the S&P, which is market-weighted. But what do you think the S&P was top-heavy in? A lot of the FANG stocks. We talk about it all day long. That and that's The high-P the high P- the names. The mega-cap. The mega-cap the, the mega is where yep. they're – So it's about a 4% differential between the, the market-cap-weighted S&P 500 and an equally-weighted – uh, exchange traded fund like like Joe was mentioning, but, and but that's that, a way to play defense. But it's also, know. and Kyle and I were talking earlier this week. If we do, when we decide to average back in a little bit, that might be a less riskier play to get back into the market, if you will, than going back into an equally weighted position, going back into the queues, going heavy in the tech sector. Um, you're buying good quality companies for the most part, and you, and. Uh, and you're really spreading out your risk, so to speak. Well, what, what, what you're really talking about, Joe, is kind of avoiding the market cap weighted indexes, ver- not focusing on those as you're putting money back to work, but as you said, those equally weighted. Because when we made all the adjustments to our index base, and we've talked about it on this program, we went in with the mindset that we wanted to do more risk mitigation of moving away from single stock risk. And our longtime show listeners and our clients know that that was the adjustment in our philosophy, not in our philosophy, but in our strategy for 2022, starting January 3rd, first day of the new year for the market, is getting away from single stock risk. So in our moderate allocations, whether you're an individual stock and bond client of Davidson Capital or you're in our moderate asset builder portfolio, there is not one single stock that equals more than 1% on the stock side of the portfolio because we do not want to have more than 1% risk And so, for in any one stock or any one company. So for our listeners that maybe have 10 or 11, 12, 15 stock positions in their portfolio, you have to know what you own and you have to know what your allocation is to each one of those stocks. And as we've said from day one of this program going back 16 years, you should never, ever under any kind of market condition have more than 5% of your net worth invested in any one individual stock, period, period. A good point is also if you're diversifying properly, think about when you buy stocks. How much does it cost to buy one share of Google? If you don't have enough money to actually do that and properly diversify where you, you know, where you can't, meaning you're going to you have only 5%, it. Yeah. And you shouldn't be owning stocks, to be honest with you. You should be in some type of ETF strategy or using mutual funds. There's a place to own stocks and a type of client that should own stocks and, and a type of client that shouldn't. It depends on, you know, what you're investing and how much you're investing, so to speak. That's right. Investable net worth. You're right, Joe, because you're, you're right. If you don't have a certain amount of size of assets, it's very hard to get properly diversified with, within individual stocks because, like you said, something like a Google or an Amazon. Now, I know Amazon's going to be splitting their stock, 
but it's still going to be an expensive stock in the grand scheme of investing. So let's pause right there. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So... Talking about, I just want to move to the technicals just quickly. I don't want to go deep in the technical weeds, but something I've been talking about on the past, on the previous Money Wise programs is looking at daily average trading volume. And one thing that I've been noticing going back, uh, really going back all the way to the middle of March, is I have some technical charts that show daily average volume. And since March, with the exception of about one to two days since the middle of March, we have seen below average daily trading volume. And so what that tells me is that possibly a lot of the larger money managers, mutual fund managers, hedge fund managers, the longer-term owners of stock, not the traders, not the renters, not the algorithms, they're kind of holding back on all of these exorbitant, volatile days like we saw this past week on Wednesday and Thursday. And what we've been pretty much in is in environments where it's the algorithms and it's the renters, the day traders of stocks that are causing a lot of this volatility and seeing more of a buyer strike. And I know that the one kind of matrix that the talk financial talking heads have been talking about, trying to look for this washout moment is they wanted to see nine to one sale to buy volume. Well, guess what? On Thursday, we had 10 to one sale to buy volume. So the big question in everyone's mind was, well, was Thursday the washout event where we completely lost all the gains from the huge rip your face off rally after the Federal Reserve's meeting and press conference? Well, Friday, we did see, although the market was down all of Friday, There seemed to be a reversal coming in towards the very end of the day. And when I look at the technical chart on the S&P 500, I'm still seeing a support level of 4,120 points on the S&P 500 as the current support level. So it's going to take more time, more trading weeks, to find out if 4,120 on the S&P 500 is a support level. But so far, that seems to be the line in the sand from what I'm seeing on the technical side. But trading volumes are still running below average with exception of a couple of days since the middle of March. And I'm done with my technical I, I don't, my technical weed corner. I don't know because uh, I don't have any data you know, going back to you know, bear markets like the one we experienced at the dot-com era or 08, 09. If you know trading volume was, if, if you could really use trading volume as any sort of measure to to pick a bottom, I don't think you could pick any bottom 
in, in the stock market in an environment where the Federal Reserve is saying they're going to keep raising interest rates until they don't. And uh, in that kind of environment, uh, there's so many other things that are going to be, in my opinion, are going to be happening in the months to come. We saw a little bit of preview of that here in the last week when Facebook announced that they were slowing their hiring. I know there's been a lot of talk uh, about uh, all these jobs that are available versus the individuals available to take these jobs. It's like there's one person for every two jobs available. And and I uh, told the stories last week about how out of balance the relationship is between employees and employers in terms of employees can demand the moon, you know, the moon and the stars and they're getting it. And, and that can't last forever. Uh, I think what we're going to start to see as the, the weeks and months go by, as interest rates move higher, uh, inflation may come down some, but I don't think we're going back to prices that we had in 2020. You know, I, I don't think that the the service provider that comes out and does your exterminating or comes and fixes your air conditioner or fixes your car or name any other, you know, infinite number of items, we're not going to go back to the pricing that we had two years ago or three years ago. We're not, we're not going back there. Will gasoline maybe go down in the next couple of years? Yes, gasoline is going to go down. It's also going to go up. But all these other things, these price increases across all these items, all these services, we're not going to go back to where they were two years ago. These are going to be permanent price increases. And do I think we're going to have two-year, pardon me, 2% inflation next year? I just don't think inflation goes down that fast. And if we have a a 4-plus percent 10-year treasury, I don't know that trading that 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 that's necessarily going to be a great environment for stocks unless you're telling me that we're going to have huge increases in earnings and that's not what I'm seeing. That's not what I'm hearing. All I'm hearing is all these costs in corporations are going higher. And that's going to if they can't offset that with revenue then their profits have to go down. And their expectations in terms of growth for the future have to come down. And right now, the these, market, that's the whole thing that's happening right now in the market is the market is trying to determine you know, what is it going to be six months, a year from now? You know, Kyle may say, and I'm not, don't mean to put words in your mouth, but your opinion may be that the market right now is pricing in a worst case scenario. And to me, the worst case scenario is the the NASDAQ goes back to where it was in February of 2020, which is another roughly 20% down from here. And the NASDAQ has done this before. We've had greater than 50% declines from the top to the bottom, both in the end of the dot-com era as well as 08, 09. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that that could happen here in the next three, four months or so. Because remember, we still have the war in Ukraine going on. That you know, none of that's really changed. And and I see here after after the market closed on Friday, there's another military aid package going out to to Ukraine. You know, the U.S. is getting more and more and more involved in this in, in this conflict. And I don't know what you know. What are the implications longer term 
um, you know, in that in that particular conflict, I think Europe is going to be in recession before we will get to recession. Uh, and that's going to have implications for these big multinational companies, these big mega cap names that are that operate all over the world, the Apples, the Microsofts, you know, all these big companies that still have huge gains in them over the last two years because we have them in our portfolio. We've been we've been taking profits all along, but we still have huge gains in these names. And I just don't think that the stock market has has fully had its day in the barrel. I think the barrel's deeper than than where we are right now. I mean, we haven't even got to minus twenty on the S and P. Yes, the Nasdaq is officially you know in, in with this market. week's with this week's movement, we are officially in the CNBC defined bear market. Right? And, mo- and most yeah. of our yeah. listeners may not know that Jeff really likes barrels. So we we <laughs> we talk about which particular stock, which Fang stock is going to be in the barrel next. Apple has not actually been in the barrel yet. Microsoft has but, not but, but, seen its time to build. Okay. Does it mean they're going to? Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. But but uh, but I was just going to say, you know, yeah, we're all trying to figure out what the E is going to be for these corporations. But the one thing that we know with the consumer as strong as it is and corporate balance sheets being as strong as they are over the last several years, that these companies are passing on these prices to their consumers, whether they're business consumers or they're, per, you know, individual consumers. These consumers have been absorbing these prices. I agree that the food and but fuel inflation. But they're not going to absorb them forever. The, the, the consumer cannot they, absorb the price increases forever. They can't absorb it forever, but just the shift in behavior of consumption can also help alleviate some of these supply chain constraints. Now, we also have issues with China because China and their zero COVID policy is exacerbating the supply chain issue and is contributing to the inflationary effects that we feel here. But I agree with Jeff that food and fuel inflation is going to be here to stay until we get another administration in the White House and going back to more sound energy policies, but even the, the oil companies, I mean, Diamondback, which is in our portfolio, we've made a ton of money in it, have taken profits along the way. They they were asked, are you going to increase production? No, we're not. No. And, and the reason why we own Diamondback is because they have always been very sound at running their business. They're not crazy wildcatters overspending to produce more and more. They, they, they send their capital out very efficiently, very effectively, and they're not going to be pushing the pedal to the metal and spending more money than they need to. It, you're not going to see and, those days again, though, Kyle. I don't think right. you're going to see these days when these big oil and gas companies are out there spinning a lot. And doing they're rebuilding. Well. Yeah, they're rebuilding their balance sheet. They mm-hmm. want to reward their investors that suffered. You know, after you know, twenty after the twenty years and years. Yes, they they suffered for years and years, and so they're rebuilding balance sheets. They're you know, paying dividends. They're paying down right. debt. They're yeah. They're not really interested in going out and doing the kind of exploration that they did in the, you know, 2014, 15 time period, that's not on the table. And so that's why we're going to have persistently high, you know, that we're resetting a new lower bound for, for gasoline prices. The new lower bound for gasoline prices may be $3 a gallon. That may be the new lower bound. We'll see. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Moneywise program, and I just wanted to again go back to you know, still trying to figure out, you know, earnings estimates moving forward going into this year. And I know that they're still, you know, we're getting through the earnings season for the first quarter. And that's the big question is, are we going to start to see earnings revisions and dialing back the overall earnings picture for the S&P 500? But I just want to remind all of our listeners that corporate America balance sheets are still extremely strong. The American consumer's balance sheet is still very strong. They've been absorbing this inflation. I agree. We don't know. I agree with Jeff that they can't absorb it forever, but we don't know how how long they're going to have to be absorbing this. I think in certain aspects, food and fuel, they're going to have to be absorbing absorbing it for much, much longer. But something that came out interesting on Friday's job number that one analyst mentioned, but it seemed to be glassed over very quickly by the financial entertainment press, is he was talking about wage inflation and the fact that wages have held pat for six months straight meaning we've not been seeing any more wage inflation. And we've heard anecdotally from clients who are business owners who have employees, some of the things that they're having to do to attract employees and retain employees and kind of getting pressure to where the employee has been kind of in the driver's seat as opposed to the employer as far as trying to keep and maintain their employee base or attract employees. But seeing that in wage inflation has been steady for the last six months, that's kind of another sign that are we finally hit to the kind of hitting the peak of inflation and where we're going to start seeing it incrementally go down. The big $64,000 question is how fast it's going to go down because we have the CPI number coming up next week. And if we see the CPI come down two, three tenths of a percent, who knows if that's going to be a little bit of fuel to bring some buying into the market. If we see China get off of their zero COVID policy, which I'm not going to hold my breath that they're going to do that, but let's just say get off their zero something, something their zero COVID policy. If they they get away from it, could that be fuel to start driving some buying into the market? Because again, that is a contributor to alleviating some of the supply chain issues. And then we are seeing on the service side, you know, we're seeing some of these uh, travel booking companies putting up some fantastic numbers this past week. We've seen some of the airlines, particularly American Airlines, which I talked about on last weekend's show, putting up the largest profit ever in the history of their company. So we are seeing a shift in consumer behavior. And anyone who wants a job can go and get a job because we saw four was 458,000 jobs that were created in the jobs report that came out on Friday. We see the unemployment rate 
still under 4%. Now, the U6, which is the true gauge of unemployment, bumped up a tick, and it's at 7%, but that's still the third lowest reading in the history of maintaining of that number. So anyone who wants a job has a job. So if we get a combination of consumer prices incrementally coming down, wage inflation staying and holding level like it has the last six months and maybe moving down, if we can get China off the zero COVID policy, you know, I think those are going to give some cover to the Fed to we know that they have to continue to raise rates. I mean, they have been very communicative and very open with what their policy is going to be. It's not like the days of Alan Greenspan. We were trying to measure how thick his briefcase was based on what the Federal Reserve was going to do for that for that meeting. They're very open and transparent. So we know a half of 1% increase is coming next meeting, probably another half the following meeting. But the big question is going to be, what is the neutral rate for the federal funds rate? I've read some camps, they're saying it's 25 to 3%. Others say it's 5 to 6%. So I would say it's going to be somewhere in between. I don't know what y'all's thoughts are and what y'all consider the neutral federal funds rate, or it's whatever they say it is whenever they get to it. You want to go first, Joe? Well, I want to talk about a couple of things that we can't control. Things that we can't control from an inflationary environment right now, if you look at Russia, all right, that's one thing that obviously – Russia and the supply chain and what you talked about with China. My my take is we're going to have inflation for longer until those two air, those two things are settled. And you know that's a, that's a tough call. I mean, it, the, the, I've heard it multiple times this week. The Fed has to thread a needle for a soft landing, and there has not been a soft landing. Jeff is a better historian on the right. Fed than I am. They're built. So. Their historic ability to engineer a soft landing is not very good. What you're talking about, Joe, I think I would really kind of put into the, the, the bigger picture of geopolitical risk, mm-hmm. which the Fed cannot do anything about. Can't control so anything. That is a total, that's completely, uh, a complete, I mean, they just can't do anything. Federal Reserve policy has nothing to do with, with geopolitical risk. No tools risk. in the toolbox so, for that. So we had 8.1% year over year inflation. In the previous report. So what I would say, Kyle, if it goes to 7.8% year over year inflation, I don't think you're going to get a 2000 point rally on that news. I just don't. But Jeff, you're hold looking on, you hold have to on. look at the PCE. That's what the Fed looks at. Okay. Strip out food and fuel. With the, you know, I'm going to say something real quick about the uh, corporate balance sheets. Yes, they have you know historic levels of cash on their balance sheets. The the expectation is if I was running a company, the the last thing that I would want to do right this second is is even think about if I don't have to letting go of any of any employees. But I'm probably going to be slowing my hiring because I'm really unsure about what's happening in the next year. <clears throat> and I'm going to be very careful on stock buybacks. I don't need to go out and make have these big, huge stock buybacks as a way of juicing my my stock price. So if there's any expectations out there that some of these companies that have gone down 30, 50 plus percent this year, that the next earnings announcement, they're going to announce a big stock buyback because they got a bunch of cash on the balance sheet. 
I don't think that's going to happen. I think the companies are going to be very conservative, keeping that cash on their on their balance sheet. And I don't I don't see increased hiring, and I don't see big stock buybacks. And so, to me, you're not going to get any financial engineering coming from corporate America. It's all going to be based on investor sentiment and outlooks for earnings and all these other variables that we've talked about here in the last you know six months. Always like to end the first hour on a high note. It's point nope, counterpoint, that's baby. Nothing, that's what you pay for. That's right. It's <laughs> it's point counterpoint. But again, a lot of information that you have to dissect that we have to go through. Being in the trenches, making those investment decisions. If you don't know what you own, you got to take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your money wise guys. So with that, we're coming up at the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, shifting gears and going into investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. MoneyWise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as as we like to utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education, and any longtime listeners of the program know that we definitely love our top ten lists uh, I guess it's a little bit of an ode to uh, to David Letterman. Uh, but we have a top ten list for this afternoon's show called The Ten Myths of Retirement Planning. And so we'll dive right in with myth number one. And that first myth is you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. Now, this... <laughs> I would say the financial entertainment press, the legacy distribution system for years and years and years, as long as I've been in the business, which you know for me is coming up on 16 years I've been doing this, they have the kind of industry standard that you only need 70 to 80% of what you're currently earning while you're working in retirement to maintain your lifestyle once you are in retirement. And... You know, very honestly, what I try to educate prospective clients uh, that come in here to Davidson Capital Management is that we don't abide by that 70 to 80% of your current income in retirement to maintain your lifestyle. In fact, 
most instances, I say you need 95 to 100 percent of what you're currently earning now. You need to be able to withdraw that same amount of money in retirement from your nest egg in order to maintain your lifestyle. Because the one, I think, variable that the legacy distribution system doesn't uh, calculate, doesn't uh, put into their calculation or account for is the fact that what's the one thing that you have a heck of a lot more of in retirement than you do during your working years. Leisure time. That's right. You have a lot more leisure time, so you have more time to travel. If you're into hunting, fishing, golfing, those are not cheap hobbies by any stretch of the imagination. Or now you're getting into new hobbies that take more time and more money. And so, you know, that myth that you don't need as much money in retirement as you do right now Again, I think it's a complete myth and it's complete bogus. Do you want to add something, Jeff? Well, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say also medical expenses. That's the one thing that uh, that's really the X factor, the unknown factor as you get older because that's, that's true. definitely going up. Well, that's true. We don't know the, the inflationary costs of medical care. Obviously, as you get older, you need more and more attention from healthcare professionals. Uh, but I think something else, Dad, that, that's a big unknown that's out there, and I think um, I, I'm not even going out of limb on saying this, but with, with the deficits that we currently face and the national debt, I mean, to say that taxes are going to be going down in the future, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I, and so I think retirees or folks that are working towards retirement and building their nest egg, that's something that they need to keep, keep in the back of their mind is, you know, they shouldn't anticipate, oh, well, I'm going to only have a 10 or 12% effective tax rate in retirement because nobody knows what their tax rate is going to be. And, again, we're assuming that taxes will be going up as far as the eye can see because of the deficits, because of the national debt that we have. I think – Maybe turning this myth around and turning it into a question is something that we at Davidson Capital Management do time and again when we're meeting with prospective clients. And they ask this question, well, what do you think the portfolio can produce in income in retirement? They may, maybe, the, the, maybe you don't know exactly what you think you will need, but maybe if you had an estimate of what, the, what your portfolio might produce if you were to retire right now or if you were to retire, say, 10 years from now at a certain rate of return based on the portfolio nest egg that you have right now and then apply our maximum withdrawal rate here that we have at our firm of 7% a year and say, do you think this number will be enough money for you to retire on uh, when you reach retirement years? Let's say that the, the that they bring a portfolio of a certain size and we and we estimate that it'll grow at seven to eight percent a year for another ten years. And the number we start off with is a million dollars. We'll just round it off. Well, at our maximum rate of withdrawal, that's seventy thousand dollars a year, seven percent of a million dollars. So, is is seventy thousand? Do you think seventy thousand dollars a year, based on a one million dollar portfolio, will be enough to keep your lifestyle where it is right now? If we find that there's that the the client is spending a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year on their lifestyle, then seventy thousand dollars in retirement, we're not even taking into account any Social Security, of course, might not be enough to support their current lifestyle. So now we now we got to now we got to look at okay, are we going to start saving more now 
to increase that nest egg size so that we can get a little closer to uh, to that target uh, income, or do we need to think about uh, lowering living lo- expenses, lowering, lowering lowering liver expenses, lowering expectations uh, for income in retirement? All three. Well, I, Maybe I, think, all three. I, I think one thing that a lot of retirees can get or pre-retirees can get in trouble is they go in with expectations that, well, my portfolio needs to be designed to where I'm I'm outperforming the S&P 500 each and every year. And if you're creating a financial plan that takes that scenario in, 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 into effect, that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And by saying that I need to have my portfolio outperforming the S&P each and every year, it's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic, and the one, one of the big problems that pre-retirees have going into maybe a professional asset manager relationship is they have unrealistic expectations, and what they need to do is they need to establish a goal, a plan. You know, my goal for this money is to grow 8% per year. Like you said, Jeff, let's sit down and work out a plan, and what are your goals, and say, okay, if you only need to earn 7 maybe 8% annualized, over, you know, after all fees and expenses for a lengthy period of time, let's say the next 10 or 15 years to have a comfortable retirement, then that's really what you should focus on and how you should position your portfolio and allocate it. But if you're the type of investor that's like, i got to beat the S&P each and every year, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure because it is next to impossible to do. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to take a different approach. That's that's one type of client that we see uh, here at Davidson Capital, but there's also another type I want to talk about when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're focusing on the second hour of this weekend's program, the 10 myths of retirement planning. We are actually still working on myth number one. Uh, that myth, again, uh, you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. And so we were talking before we went to break about setting goals and having appropriate goals in place and appropriate expectations in place with your nest egg as you're going into retirement. And, Jeff, I know you wanted to add a little bit to that. Well, that is that is one. We see this that this type of scenario with some prospective clients that are looking for maximum performance. They're, they're, they're very much focused on performance, and we understand that. But I think another type of client that we that we're seeing and maybe this is an offshoot of of the, of the new target date funds that have been out here for about the last 10 years and that's this assumption that as i get closer and closer to retirement i need to have more and more of my money in in bond investments and in, in fixed income investments and less and less in stock because i need to be taking less risk and so by having more money in fixed income well that would be traditionally saying well i'm taking less risk well that's all fine and good in a normal interest rate environment. And I use that in quotations. But 
This is not a normal interest Definitely rate Definitely not normal. And we have not had a normal interest rate environment for a very long time. And it appears that we may not have a normal interest rate environment for a number of years into the future. So <clears throat> having a asset allocation strategy that as I'm approaching retirement, I need to have less than what we would recommend an, uh, an allocation in stocks in the current rate environment and more of an allocation to bonds, but yet still have a uh, expected rate of return of 8% is not realistic. Mm-hmm. Is not realistic at all. And so m- maybe the two tie together is about having realistic expectations and understanding that in order to deliver those expectations, you have to have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds based on the existing current interest rate environment. Yes, Doug? Well, just say we were looking at a traditional balanced account, which in the old days would be 60% stock, 40% bond. Well, if you're at a 10% return in stocks, that means you're going to get 6% from your stock side of the portfolio. The problem is the 40% that would be sitting in bonds with a 10-year bond you know, slightly you know, less than three, you're, you're not getting up to the 7% which we have seen is a safe withdrawal rate going back our 25 years. but And it's because of the bond component. The bond component right now is changing the math on what people need for retirement. But I don't think the retirees are picking up on that fact, Dad. I, I don't think they are. And when you're talking about target date funds putting more money into bonds as people approach retirement, what is the most dangerous asset class out there right now? It is bonds. Fixed income. Because we don't know very how few the people Fed, say very very few people would say that. No, I, nobody would say that. I don't think other than people that run bonds like us. We either know. Than us, either we, than us. we know. We know that it's dangerous. You get the Bill Grosses of the world that come out and say it's a new normal. They don't want to come out and say it's a new bubble. They don't want to say the bubble word connected with bonds. So. Are we moving on to myth number two? Myth number two. Myth number two, my retirement years won't last that long. The fact is, today's today, individuals in their 50s and 60s, of course, are generally healthier than previous generations. So if you're 65 years old right now, your life expectancy is approximately 21 years. And with a life expectancy of 21 years means that you have a 50% chance of dying by year 21 and a 50% chance of living longer. So if you're 65 right now, you have a 50/50 chance of of living past 86 years old. And so that again goes along with creating that plan and having your goals and realizing is my nest egg sufficient enough to sustain me? Till I'm 86, or till I'm 95, and if you and have, nobody knows, and if you have a seven percent rate of withdrawal in your portfolio, and you've got a hundred percent fixed income earning you two percent, you're not going to get there. It's not. It may not last 21 years. You know, as I always, as I say to prospective clients, if we all knew when the last day on this earth would be for each one of us, man, retirement planning would be so much easier. But unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, we don't know when that day is going to be. No, myth number three, you can afford to start planning for your retirement a few years before your retirement date. In fact, it is never too soon to begin planning for retirement. Time is one of the most powerful tools in the accumulation of wealth. The sooner you start to accumulate assets and plan for your retirement years, the better. 
the less you will need to set aside each year in order to achieve the same objective. Now, I've talked about this over and over and over again for a number of years using the example of someone that was just fresh out of college, that just graduated, just got their diploma, and they get their first job. And if they had a, if they, this, this, this $1 million goal to have in your, in your retirement years, you start off your retirement with a one, $1 million nest egg. If you started saving when you were 21, 22 years old and you save for 40 years to get to 62, the, you would have to save what amounts to about a, skipping lunch every day. Brown bagging out, it. Brown. By brown bagging it going to work. About, about $8 a day, it's like $250 a month. If you save that amount of money at 22 years old and you never change it, you would accumulate, and you would accumulate about a million dollars at an eight percent compounded rate of return. You know what our listeners can do? They can just go into Google and Google the term "time value of money" and read the explanation. I mean, it's very, very simple. And and again, if you're someone who's in their forties, maybe in their early fifties, and you haven't started saving for retirement, I mean, this is when you need to buckle down and start putting the pedal to the metal uh, to to try to save as much as possible. It's never too late. As we've always said on the radio show, pay yourself first. But this myth number three rolls right into myth number four for those individuals that have failed to plan for their retirement. And that myth number four is that Social Security will provide enough income for my retirement years. Bottom line, Social Security accounts for approximately 38% of the average retirement of the average retiree's income. So. Uh, you know, you're you're talking, you know, sixty two percent that still needs to be made up. And 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 again, to be very blunt, if you're relying on the federal government to take care of you in retirement, again, you are setting yourself up for failure. We all know the Social Security system is broken. It needs a substantial overhaul. Um, the fact that Social Security benefits with cost of living adjustments or COLA for short, have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years. Um, If you're one of those individuals that's just relying on Social Security to take care of you, again, you're planning for failure in your retirement years and possibly working to the day that you die. You have to start planning and you have to start putting away. You know, if you follow myth number three, then you're going to wind up falling into the trap of myth number four. So myth number five, I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. Boy, this is extremely, extremely dangerous to think that a traditional pension or defined benefit plan is going to take care of you throughout the rest of your retirement years. And and again, as, as we all know, Uh, With the invention of the 401k through the Tax Reform Act of 1978, this is where corporate America has been going. They've been shifting away from the defined benefit plan. So there might only be a handful of listeners of this weekend's program that have the luxury of having a defined benefit plan. But we have always recommended at Davidson Capital Management that if you have the ability to take a cash 
lump sum distribution from your pension. And the and the way that you can do that is, first off, your pension has to have over an 80% uh, funding rate by the corporation to take a 100% lump sum. And then if it has a 60 to 80% funded rate from the corporation, you can take a partial lump sum distribution. And then any pension that's less than 60% funded, you're going to have to take the pension payment. And I know, you know, one particular organization here in town that falls in that category of having an underfunded pension. But, you know, the one thing that they don't tell you when they give you the options that you can select at time of retirement, whether to take a lump sum or to take the annuity payments from your pension, is that these pension payments are not adjusted for inflation. So maybe that fifteen hundred. So that fifteen hundred dollars that you started receiving in your pension on month one and year one is going to be buying a heck of a lot less goods and services ten years from now. And I think that's one area that retirees forget that monetary inflation is eroding your purchasing power. And once you start taking that pension payment, there's no going back. You're done. You're locked out. That's what you're going to be getting for the rest of your life. And it's not adjusted for inflation, so each and every month that goes by, you're going to be able to buy a little less goods and services. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind, and that's one main reason, one huge reason why we recommend to take a lump sum distribution, if you can, from your traditional pension. With that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this hour about the 10 myths the ten myths of retirement planning. Um, we've gotten to myth, and we came to the bottom of the hour break. We're on myth number five, uh, which was I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. And as we went to break, was talking about what we recommend to prospective clients at Davidson Capital Management when you can take the lump sum distribution from your pension to do that, for one, so you now have full, complete control of those assets. Also, so you can put those assets to work for you in an allocation model that can provide you with growth and something that's going to be appropriate for you to help make that money last your entire uh, lifespan in retirement, but also to help combat, combat monetary inflation. Because, again, that's one thing that the pension provider is not going to tell you at a pre-retirement meeting is that once you annuitize that pension and start taking that monthly check, that's the check that you're going to continue to receive. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. And so that $1,500, as an example, that you start receiving each and every month will buy less goods and services as every month goes by. So imagine, and think of it very easily, will $1,500 20 years ago buy the same amount of goods and service as it does today? No, because of monetary inflation. That is the one thing that is not discussed enough with pre-retirees. It's one aspect 
uh, of the market that that individuals don't think about a lot and why I've always been a big advocate that every brokerage statement across this country should have a notation of what monetary inflation was for that reporting period so they realize, oh, I did lose a little bit of value in my CD because of monetary inflation or I lost value of my money sitting in cash in the bank vault because of monetary inflation. It, It affects pensions the exact same way. So myth number six, Medicare will take care of my health insurance. And I'm glad that this is on the list of myths because this is a conversation I have when I go through my financial road mapping exercises with clients. When we work with our clients that are working towards that retirement, I don't want to say retirement goal line. I would say retirement is the 50-yard line. So as they're working to the 50-yard line of the field to go into retirement, when I start, when I have our clients work on their monthly budgets, I always want them to put in some type of figure for supplemental insurance to Medicare. I always tell our clients that do not rely 100% on Medicare. And you know, the bottom line is, is that Medicare pays less than half of a typical retiree's medical bills, and that you have to have a supplemental plan. And Dad, I mean, you're absolutely you're an absolute authority on this. No, no, because, no, that's you're absolutely correct, Kyle. And so I always want to build into a retirement budget, and this is again an exercise for any pre-retiree that's working on their monthly budget to include. What do you pay? Around $500 a month? It's getting more and more expensive. It is, okay. So your supplemental plan is getting more and more expensive. So I would say... And we've already reduced one of the portions of it. So would you say for a pre-retiree to maybe work in four to maybe $600 a month for that supplemental policy? Uh, Or even more? uh, Actually, it's going to to start to be more than that. Really? Yes. That's what it is currently. Maybe six to $800? It's getting there. It's getting there. So the bottom line is, is that... Well, the problem is, at this point in time, because of Obamacare, we, we don't totally know the effects yet. You know, th- this has not got through the system. And the other thing that doesn't come out in this that they won't tell you is you're not going to see all the same health professionals you saw before. Not every doctor wants Medicare patients. That's true. And so... There's instances where your your specialists are going to change. That's not all. That's another myth too. Is that you may <laughs> you're not, adding myth number eleven. You, you may be going <laughs> to San Antonio to see someone you want to see. Myth: You can keep all of your current healthcare yes. providers. Yeah, that's not even that's your not, primary care. That's physicians. not true on Medicare, much less Obamacare. So anyone working out a monthly budget pre-retiree, they need to figure in. A health insurance cost, even if you're going into Medicare because you're going to have to have that supplemental policy. Uh, myth number seven, all my assets are in safe vehicles for long-term accumulation and do not need to be watched closely. What the heck are I mean, safe vehicles for long-term accumulation? What do, what do they mean is, by that? There is no Well, I, I know an annuity salesman would say this annuity, yes. this indexed annuity, this variable annuity, that's that's safe. It's quote-unquote guaranteed. That talk should have ended Hardy in 08 or 09. I mean, they, they might be talking about certificates of deposit yes. or government bonds. Yes. But those safe that's vehicles it. for long-term accumulation aren't accumulating a whole lot. I was about in, to say. In, they, in today's interest rates. They need to define what is accumulation. <laughs> That's a very loose term Something right less there. than 1% is not accumulating to me. I mean, the, the, the bottom line, anyone 
going into retirement with, oh, I've got everything in CDs, I've got everything in my money market account, I'm, I've got everything in fixed income, I'm safe, I can go on my trips, on my vacations, I can go play with the grandkids and the family, I don't have to think about it, don't have to worry about it. If you don't work with an investment professional who has discretionary control and is a registered investment advisor to manage those assets for you, then you're the portfolio manager. and you cannot- Well, there is a portfolio manager. Whether you hire one or not, you've hired yourself. That's right. Yeah, that, that means that you're the portfolio manager and you cannot fall asleep behind the wheel and following this methodology of, oh, I'm safe, I don't need to watch it closely, again, setting yourself up for failure. This is why we've always used the Money Wise program to educate and to enlighten pre-retirees and retirees that you always have to be vigilant in your portfolio, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with an investment professional, it's something that has to be paid attention to. Well, I mean, you are the portfolio manager on your 401k plan. That's right. That That's right. If you don't have a self-directed brokerage option, and, and again, that brings up another important point, something that a lot of 401k plans don't talk about, is in-service distribution options for participants in 401ks that are age 59 and a half and older. If you're planning on working another five or six years, guess what? At 59 and a half, you have the ability to hire an investment professional, roll your 401k assets out into a self-directed IRA that you can now get professionally managed. And for someone who's amassed 500, 600, 800, a million dollars in their 401k and they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing in their own account, this is when you might want to start looking at your options as you're continuing to work and participating in the 401k for looking at a self-directed, uh, either a self-directed or an in-service distribution option in the 401k. Um, so myth number eight, I can always use the equity in my home to add to my retirement income. Well, this might have been a thought pattern prior to the housing collapse back from 2006 and 2007, and with home values just starting to come back well, and they're, revive. You know, they're bubbling up in here. There's no question about that. They, they are, depending upon what part of the country you live in. Um, but again, as we've always educated and always talked about here on the Money Wise program, is that you should view your house as where you live. Do not view it as an investment. If you have your house paid off, yeah, you have equity built into it. It's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type thing. But if you're developing a financial plan in retirement that revolves around taking a reverse mortgage out or taking a home equity line of credit out and and living off of the equity bills into your house, again, you're planning and setting yourself up for failure. And again, with the financial crisis back in 08, which again, housing market had a lot to lend itself to to that financial crisis. There's a lot of folks that still could be underwater, have zero or very little home equity. Uh, So we always say don't look at your house as a piggy bank. Look at your house as where you live. And if you have equity built into it, fantastic. But don't include it in a financial plan that, hey, this is a register that I'm going to be able to ring if I need to. Anything else you wanted to add? Myth number nine. If need be, my family can always help me out. This is my plan. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, that's myth number nine. Yeah, right? that, that's myth. That's myth Usually number myth nine. Number one. Yeah, myth number nine. The fact is that many people use this as an excuse for dele- delaying retirement planning, but in reality, no one wants to rely on other family members to help them out financially to fund their retirement years. And if anything, these are the years when you want true financial independence and do not want to feel as if you are a burden on your family. Uh, it may, th- th- must be some very interesting Thanksgivings out there. I mean, th- the fact that this many people could be getting along, I thought it would be, would be the last people that you'd want to rely on would be family members. You well, I, I mean, and unfortunately, again, if if you're the type of investor or the lack thereof, not investing, not planning, you know, believing in a lot of these myths that we've already discussed then you're going to wind up falling into the category where you're going to be looking to your children or looking to other family members to take care of you in retirement and, again, becoming a burden on them. And, and, and I would think that that's, that's not a conversation that any parent wants to have with their child saying, well, hey, Sally, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I hope you have an extra uh, yeah, room in your house. Yeah, I'm going to be, because I did such a poor job planning for retirement, now I'm going to come live with you. How, what do you think about that? Or, or then the parents become a travel agent for guilt trips and say, well, I paid for your college. I did I all this you. for you. I raised you. You owe me this. I would recommend try not to be one of those parents that's a you owe me this kind of parent. You have to do the planning yourself and prepare for your retirement. Well, we're going to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the 10 myths of retirement planning, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. The Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we spent the last hour of this weekend's moneywise program going through the 10 myths of retirement planning and we finally arrived at myth number 10 and that myth is money is everything when it comes to retirement planning uh, now, money is important, but it isn't everything because, again, you could have $4 million nest egg saved up, but you're spending $400,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle, and guess what? That nest egg isn't going to last too long. And so you could you could have been a fantastic saver, but if you're going into retirement with a massive amount of debt, Consumer debt, you know, huge house payment, a bunch of car payments, a lot of toys, high monthly expenses, and and you're leading this very very extravagant lifestyle. Doesn't matter how much you, you you've saved because you have to pay attention to what you're spending. Yeah, it's about creating a proper balance. And, and, it's, well, and it's pretty rare that we see folks that have accumulated tr- large nest eggs. But but also have been have really big spending habits. Usually it's 
their nest egg is moderate to maybe a little below average, but they have big spending habits. Well, well what I see also is we'll still see people that save quite a bit of money, and then they get in retirement, and they're way too frugal. They're so afraid they're going to outlive their money, they won't even... Enjoy, real, enjoy yeah. some of the fruits of their labor. I mean, I see well, this it, more. It, it's 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 about a happy medium, a happy balance. But I think that it goes back to your point: is that retirement planning has to stay flexible. You have to be malleable because life can change in the blink of an eye. Markets change each and every day. Allocations can adjust. You have to be flexible. This is why we're such humongous advocates against, again, let me repeat, against annuities of any shape or form because it takes away that flexibility and that malleability. We're, we're very much against taking, if you if you work for a corporation that offers a, a, a pension plan and you and you take the pension payment and don't take the lump sum. We're very much against taking the pension payment because you're locking yourself in to this amount of money for the rest of your life. It will be never be a penny more or a penny less. And no one knows that that's going to be enough with your other retirement income to get through retirement. So like, like Kyle said, and then we'll reiterate it again, flexibility is the key because markets, don't stay the same. Life doesn't stay the same. I, I, and, to, and to me, of the ten myths, the one that 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 really strikes I think, a chord with strikes you strikes a chord. I would not even consider retiring without a supplemental plan to my Medicare. Do not rely on Medicare for your health costs, because that is the one guarantee. I would say. You're definitely going to be using as you get older. So it's death, taxes, and increase in medical care, <laughs> increased cost of medical care. Yes, those are the three now. It's not yeah. just death and taxes. Well, that's right. Inflation, inflation and medical inflation care. is all. I don't know that I've ever lived in in two years in a row that we haven't had a pos, positive inflation. We've had inflation practically every year of my life, and the, and and if I've been living forty eight, I have no reason to doubt that the next forty eight are going to have inflation also. Now, despite what the government says, current interest, current inflation rates being somewhere less than two percent, I don't know anyone that uh, isn't paying more than two percent for their living expenses, and so I'm a little suspicious of how the government's computing these numbers. And you know, we've always used at least a minimum three percent uh, inflation rate, and so if if you're if you're accumulating assets into retirement. And you unfortunately have received advice or believe that as you approach those retirement years, you should have less and less money in stocks and more and more money in a in fixed income or bond investments. There isn't a bond investment out there that has a uh, that is uh, what we would consider to be investment grade that's yielding more than three percent unless you go way way out well, there's the no one yielding seven and we're talking about in our experience our 25 years we've seen where you can take seven percent out of a balanced portfolio and still have a portfolio of the size still, but what i'm with. yeah but what i'm saying yeah. is is that greater than the you, size you can't even get a fixed income investment that we would consider investing in that's investment grade that even reaches what we believe is is at least the minimum true rate of inflation 
No, and, and, and again, everyone's inflationary rate is different, but if you're going into retirement anticipating that your inflationary rate's going down, not with medical care costs. No. Not with medical care costs. I don't think medical, co- Medicare costs are growing at, at 3% or less a year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in, I think it goes college tuition, medical costs. And those so, are and the, probably that, high single-digit rates of inflation. For for tuition, it's actually I've seen I've seen statistics it's double digits, with 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 college costs. So, you know the, the the bottom the bottom line is is that you have to prepare, you have to plan. As I've always tried to educate on this program, that if if you're listening to the show and you're six months, twelve months out from retiring. This is when you need to start getting on the horse and start interviewing investment professionals that you might be interested in working with, finding out what they have to offer, seeing how they work with their clients, find out if they're taking discretionary control and are acting as a fiduciary, as a registered investment advisor does like we do here at Davidson Capital Management, or are they only going to sell you investment products and do what's suitable for you, which does not which does not mean putting your interests in front of their own or the firm that employs them, you need to start doing that work in advance. Do not get caught behind the eight ball. I don't know how many times I've talked about it on this show, but since we're talking about retirement planning, I always want to bring this up. You know, I've met with some folks that get caught behind the eight ball and they're scrambling to try to figure out who they're going to work with they wind up making a very hasty decision because they sat in one sales presentation said wow that sounds good they threw around the word guaranteed a lot and guaranteed this rate of return and guaranteed that and all these guarantees well i'm just going to sign on the dotted line and then they're toast their portfolio is toast and they're locked into something they lost their flexibility they lost their flexibility and the bill of goods that was sold to them was completely false smoke and mirrors, and then they wind up regretting that. And then a lot of times we wind up working with these people where we're having to unwind these hasty decisions that they made and sometimes can cost them quite significantly. And it can't be done overnight either. Exactly, and it can't be done overnight. So, you know, again, you have to plan. You have to prepare. Do not get sucked in to these myths and if there's anything that we can do for you at Davidson Capital Management, you want to talk about your your financial situation, give us a call, 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.